episode 283 special guest head coach of the vancouver titans call me biased but my favorite team coming into the the preseason the offseason the pro-am it's askoff welcome to the show thank you yeah thanks for having me thanks for the compliment like best of course team. best Hell team yeah. top seven it future lord at the very least at, at the, the very least. least at the very least you hear that yes guy at the, the very second. least Look, <laughs> the pendulum has been swinging back in my favor, my guy. Like, uh, the, the thing is, okay, so I'm probably two pendulum sw- swings ahead of the public in that because, like, one pendulum swing is going to hit soon in terms of, uh-huh. like, what is going to help you, and then it swings back, my dude. There's a team sure. that we all thought was garbage that's fun- <laughs> suddenly not as garbage, and I- I'm-, I'm gaining confidence. Hey, cope however hard you need to, okay? You 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 huff whatever you need to to get through the day. All I know is established bets, established lord titles, whatever the hell that company is. I'm getting one, okay? I'm getting a small plot of land in Scotland and I will be a laird, okay? That's all I know. Yeah. <laughs> Outside of that ask off like there's uh, we were kind of talking prior to the show, but you know, there's not a ton kind of for you guys to do right now so like what are you doing yep. what like are you having hobbies that you're getting into like what's what's going on in the off season for you right at this kind of uh, hobbies yeah so yeah we were discussing it off but i went to vancouver for a couple of days with mm. my girlfriend just to see how it was pretty cool city very good facilities and everything the people there are very nice uh the people i'm gonna work with i mean um aside from that you know i just try to keep myself busy right now it's the moment where i feel like i should involves myself much more in like getting back into overwatch and everything mm. so i'm getting some tier two vods trying to understand what's the meta right now i'm talking to my players about you know just setting up the the stage for like the seasons to start so we're talking we're gonna have our talk about team talks established team values individual talk with the players and everything just to get them to know them uh, a little bit more it's mostly what i'm doing otherwise in terms of hobbies uh, i like cooking i cook a lot Let's go. I run. Mostly. What's your favorite bread? <laughs> <That's> my... <laughs> well, I have to say baguette. Yeah, it's, I mean, come on. That was a kind Otherwise, of... Yeah, yeah. You know. Get his French card revoked. Yeah. It's it's borderline bread, I will say. Like, it's, it's, what do you mean borderline? It's, it's, it's... It just is bread. Yeah, no. No. <laughs> no. What? No, like what do you mean, the, no. There's this very particular sense of what bread is to a German, I would say, and it's All right, like guess. it's outside the linguistic profile of you know the the baguette. <laughs> it's like it's not yeah, baguette sure. is yeah. You're German pill. It's hard to understand. Dude, dude, like it. a baguette right. is not something like you would put like anything really on. A baguette is more like you slice it and then you have it with something else, right? That's mostly how it goes. Yeah, I mean, the, most of the sandwiches in France are made with baguette. So it's quite versatile. It was created for that as well, just to be used in a slice, like an everyday bread for everybody. But, I, yeah, I've, I've seen, like, German bread. I think we have a different definition of what bread is. Mm. Okay. Uh, can Very we, thick. Can we Europeans <laughs> stick together? I'm about to bring it up on, on the no, stream. No, 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 no. I wasn't look, saying mine is superior. So, That's sorry. up to the people to judge. Look, look at the, look at, uh, the stream. And t- please, Askoft, I require you to tell me that this isn't 
baguette. What Eric oh, just put on the. Oh Jesus, no! Yeah. Yeah. No, so <laughs> it's it's virtually impossible to find. Yeah, this this kind of stuff remind me of like yeah the kind of what they call bread in America. It's impossible to find decent bread mm. in America. I've tried. I know. I've been obsessed with it. Are those the bread <laughs> sticks that's really not bread, but they're sticks, yes. but not bread? They're like they're like dough. They're like they're like toasted dough with butter. Okay. It's like not fair to call it bread. <laughs> it's right. really not. Right. Okay. I'm I'm not that it's not American. A conversation, guys. I love it. <laughs> no. <laughs> We we had Everybody some, some big semantic arguments about what Joe deems to be bread, uh, like it, during the off season. You you can tell Weirdly the off season enough. has been too long. We're going <laughs> a little cuckoo here. Weirdly enough, I've had the most arguments with Europeans around. Well, I guess maybe former members of the European Union around semantics around food. Right, and I'll just leave that in the ether. And before we have any, you know, fellow French. People coming to attack Yiska, maybe breaking baguettes over his head. We have to thank the patrons, supporters of the show. Um, so episode 283 is brought to you by our patron producers, Avril Vista, Baby, Battlecrab, Green Five Bean, Brosba, Buhal, Picasso, Chris R34444, Kasha67, Lotion, Port Chop, Sammy, Rexane, and our YouTube members, I am DRW, Brother, Adam L, Soggy Fumi, I Sam Jello, Fire Emblem 6, AK, and Chris R. You want to talk about a thick bread that dropped in the this last week? The, the the format is out that's yeah. thick. it's juicy it's a whole, whole lot of info and it was dumped on our plate well yes i think <laughs> I, I think there's i mean okay it was interesting to me to see the reception of the community and i think the the principal features of this season format as I probably anticipated, were too big t- for the community to really dig into the, you know, s- minutia of what really is a little bit questionable about this format. Because, like, the big feature is now Contendus is much more involved, right? Um, it's arguably the best point in time to make this happen, right? Like, um, in, in terms of from the all um, team perspective. Because let's be honest, like contenders as a concept has probably never been worse in a worse state of talent left in in contenders than it is now, right? Would you agree, Askov? Do you think like most of the good talent has been absorbed into uh, Overwatch League? Yeah, already. It's horrible. I mean, I didn't check that much this season compared to last in uh, in Korea, but I've heard it's pretty much the same. Although they must have like some talent here and there that I mean is already picked up by. Usually, uh, O2 blast and shock part- partnerships, but right. in Europe and America, like yeah, for this year and the year before, it's been even worse than before. Like all of the good players are already in the league, and there's maybe one or two that are remains. Most of these guys that are remaining left and right are not even near being 18. So that's kind of really yeah. bad. I to be fair. I also think there's like a, a couple of other things, like for instance, the demise of academy teams actually makes it yeah. sort of feasible to have this format without necessarily running into competitive integrity issues where you're playing in a competition. Like it, to, at this point, and this is still the, the fact that it is theoretically possible is a problem to me. It's just not 
right. practically going to happen very likely this year is that O2 Blast could play the Overwatch League finals against the San Francisco Shock. That's a possibility now. Right. Right? It's, it's well, not they, likely. Yeah. Now, go back two years, season four. Sure. The likelihood of those two teams meeting in that bracket is much higher. And keep in mind also, like, this basically shuts the door on academy teams for good. Because you don't want to have t- t- that competitive integrity issue where you are playing your own main team uh, right. during the competition, especially in the APEC region, where there, I think, like, if memory serves right, there were more uh, academy teams for longer. But given the situation in the APEC region, yeah, it's very unlikely that we're going to have more of this. Right. right? At least it feels like uh, they kind of acknowledge the mess and they try to make something out of it. Because I know at least like the tournament, like the pro and amateur tournament was received with like a lot of positive vibes from the tier two scene because it gives them something to grind for because contenders were so boring for most of them. So when I talk to like some of the tier two players or like some of the players that went back to T2, they only talk about this, you know, contenders don't really matter, but they want to do like the tournament uh, against your Watch League teams. So, yeah, it sucks and it shouldn't be that way with the system they developed and it should have not be that way if they made contenders work the way they announced it to. Mm-hmm. But at least there's something for tier two. There's not that much incentive for Watch League team to play in it, but I understand why it's necessary for the scene. Just maybe comes a bit late in like... Yeah acting for the tier two most of the talent is already gone yeah close the games let let me run this statement by you if you agree with this Eskov. i've thought Mm. that the entirety of contenders including in the pro am and then in the uh apac brackets where they actually play throughout the season the likelihood of a team doing semi well let's say being top five in the region the entirety of contenders right? Like every team in contenders, any of those being able to reach that high is less likely than London doing well last year, even though we all agreed that London probably should have been last, uh, at least by preseason power rankings, right? So if, or to phrase it another way, if a contenders team makes it into a top five position in any of those uh, international compositions, be it the Pro-AM, be it like the mid-season or the grand finals, that's a bigger surprise to me than London doing well last year. True? Yeah, I think so. I wouldn't be so certain about like the East region, but that's just because I don't really have that much information about how it's like. I didn't keep up that much. Uh, in the West, it's very unlikely, considering how stacked the teams are this year. That, but just the fact that, like, the, from a contenders' perspective or T2 perspective, just the fact that they can compete against these teams, even if they're gonna get crushed, they're still happy to compete against good players. But yeah, I think it's very unlikely. Just a good show for Tier Two, I guess. It's, I mean, at, at this point, it's just like they've done so little for Tier Two right. that anything that they do, eh, you kind of have to at least give it a little bit of a good vibe to it because maybe it's gonna make them feel like they could do more. Like if it's this tournament is well received, then perhaps they're going to do more for tier two. But yeah, no, I would agree. It's very, very, it's likely that most teams are going to get crushed, especially considering how so far from what I've seen, there is like 
very little uh, competition in tier two. Mm. Yeah, you never know, but yeah. I think oh, it's it, tough, right? Like it's difficult. One one underrated um, change is also the eligibility gate, right? Like prior to that, right? Contenders was kind of boosted by a lot of these high-performing players not being eligible, right? Like, everyone knows mm. that Propak would have been in Overwatch League had he been eligible yep. earlier. And yep. so, like, a lot of top-tier talents still con- competed in contenders. We always heard, like, oh, these guys are splitting scrims against Shanghai and whatnot, right? This is yeah. no longer the case also because of the age gate. So, uh, and let's be honest, this would have been really spicy in, like, Season 1 and Season 2, but at this point, I think also our gatekeepers, so the people that let people or sign people into Overwatch League to compete at the highest level, they all also studied up big time. There's, it feels like the people that give out contracts or make the approval, either you, you know, like a, a head coach position, they are really well optimized. And it's really hard to see how there could be something that we don't know about Overwatch that can only come out of like you know the a gigantic system of like natural selection so to speak of the contenders pool that the Overwatch League hasn't already known right like there's no market inefficiency yeah. where uh, contenders could just surprise by finding goats 3.0 or something exactly no it's very unlikely but it's still a a step towards the right direction mm-hmm. into giving more uh, something to tier two, right? It's very poorly done, and like even the communication around like the fact that we could sign players that are 17 when most of the rosters, if not all the rosters, are already yeah. uh, finished. That's like a question mark. But at least they're taking to some degree. I'm not so sure about the players being able to play at 17, but at least the making tournaments with involving tier two. I think that's like a right. ID. The execution mm-hmm. might be not might not be the best, but at this point you take whatever you can have sure. with tier two. I know that this has been something that I think Jessica has brought up on the show in the past, and maybe the way that I'm gonna frame this question maybe changes his mind. But the the kind of concept that he's brought up was that, you know, like you guys were talking about. You know, the the T2 talent pool feels like a well that's a little bit dry, right? Where we don't have a ton of water to pull from. Like, the the talent pool's a little dried up right now. So adding on layers like APAC teams being integrated as as partners within the APAC region, um, having things like the Pro-Am Tournament for the West, um, maybe even bringing back something like the Gauntlet or the Asian uh, Pacific or the Atlantic Showdown for Tier 2. All of these systems, do you think that they, on top of one another... Do you think that they kind of help to, in a metaphorical sense, replenish that talent pool and and help to, you know develop a lot of these these younger players? So it's not really my area of expertise, but I would assume it would take a while because if they implement all of that this season, mm-hmm. uh, the talent pool right now is not still not enough. Okay. Even though some players came back, but it's not like we have a huge development of I don't know like how it can be in like the other games environment i assume where there's a lot of like 15 16 years old prodigy mm-hmm. that are like all mechanics very raw and then they need a team a coach or whatever they need experience to become great players right mm-hmm. these are the kind of profile that we lack in overwatch they take time to develop in the first place that's why everybody was so hype about overwatch 2 at least from like a inside coaching perspective it's like with a new game free to play maybe the younger generations will come and then there's going to be like a you know the talent sure. pool is going to be refilled 
but if they implement all of these good changes right now, uh, I don't think they will have it will have like a good impact instantly. It will take maybe a couple of years. years. Maybe it would never work for like sure. players would still not come back. I would still like to have them make this effort, but there's a chance it's too late as well. But mm-hmm. you know, no, well, makes sense. That's kind of what you said, Giska, right? And in, in the past, yep. is there? Are you kind of still in the same mindset where it's like, you know, not sure if it'll ever work or if it's just too far out to even tell? I mean, it it could work if this is just also transitory period. I think like what realistically needs to happen is we need to reactivate some of these other regions in order to really mm-hmm. facilitate um, what more widespread competition. I think mm-hmm. there are some cool ideas how that could work. Um but yeah, it's it really depends. We have so many aspects to consider with the merger, right? Like that's that's out there. Like the um, the varying the interests, Microsoft, Microsoft merger. Yeah, like okay. what you know, realistically, what can you do uh, with the league? How much can you push? There's owner disgruntlements. Like there's only so much you can do. But like theoretically. Mm-hmm. Um, Yes, everything is always delayed, right? Like the the impact yeah. of of the that like the reason why season five kind of slapped was because a lot of what came together was like academy teams, the fruits of academy teams coinciding and everything happening, like American mm-hmm. Tornado and like the, the the like the other guys like um, ATL Academy and like. Uh, you know, like O2 Blast and all of those guys just coming into the league at this, or I mean, not ATL Academy, but like everything either came in the season earlier, the people mm-hmm. that were really good at Overwatch had established enough, so they we had veteran talent, but it's also like a lot of the fruits of what we, you know, put out in mm-hmm. the season two, season three, season four Academy team type stuff. That came to the forefront. Um, also, like stuff like Gauntlet. Uh, I, I feel like that's there's only so many pickings left um, in terms of like. Could you even say Top Dragon, right? Like even the O2s, yeah. like all all of those. There's some left, but very. I feel like it all came to uh, like the peak of it was season five, and I mean, let's be honest, like one of those academy teams to be. Sp- Almost won the season, right? Like one map sure. away. Pretty much. Pretty powerful stuff. I mean, it's it's difficult, but in in a in a devil's advocate kind of way, because again, like you you want a constant talent injection. You want more and more people trying the game. You know, chasing that that path to pro. Not to can be not to be a complete shill, but you know, feeding that pipeline is super super important. But um, in a in a kind of counterproductive way, and this is something that I think we've celebrated Overwatch for, um, but it's also kind of a hindrance in some facets. Um, because we have such a big turnover of veteran players, we lose a lot of those narratives, right? Is there a shifting of this viewpoint where, in the same sense that we're saying, yes, we're not getting a ton of like big rookie injections like we used to, where like in 2020, we had crazy, like a crazy graduating class of rookie players. And and last year, very much the same way. 
Um, does that not kind of benefit us in some way in the short term by building up a lot of those or having more connective narratives from just like a viewership perspective where it's like, okay, all the viewers, all the general audience knows these players. They can at least identify with, you know, their past seasons or maybe their past teams. And we can, you know, connect as a viewer to, you know, better experiences or more engaging experiences um, with, with these players that we kind of understand, if that makes sense. I mean, yes, but it, it feels like pretty hollow, right? Like if, if there's no, to me, veteran mm -hmm. excellence only feels good if the pressure is coming from behind where the sure. rookies are pushing as well, right? You don't, I, I, that's the least satisfying thing for of COD esports for me. I know for a fact that all of these guys that have been sticking around for ten years in a mm -hmm. hyper competitive game like let's say I don't know League of Legends or even like StarCraft One or whatever, there's no shot you find someone ten years ago that could still be competitive nowadays. Just because the skill sets shape so violently, they they would have to be like genetically engineered in order to play Call of Duty through all of the stages of the game's meta and whatever, right? Like, that's mm -hmm. very clearly down to an inefficiency in the scene. Right. right? So, that always rang hollow to me. Yeah. I think there's also a problem, especially in Overwatch, where we, in Overwatch League, uh, mm -hmm. players tend to burn out compared to other esports sure. really fast, have very short careers. So players burn out, they move on with their life. Uh, all the Koreans go to army, so they have like a big gap and usually they don't come back. Um, eventually, if you don't inject new talent. So this system sucks. I, I hate it. I think the players could play much longer. I agree with uh, Yiska that like you still need competition yeah. from the rookies to like challenge them, right? But mm -hmm. I think with this proper healthy setup, the players should be able to play much, much longer. There is no uh, cognitive decay mm -hmm. or whatever until you're like very very old that really affects you uh, i'm talking like 35 plus like you start having a decay from what i've seen in the studies around 24 but it's such a slow one that like it shouldn't impact your performance to play at the highest uh level of play you could still play and you can still adapt you can still have more experience be more consistent and everything mm. um so they should be able to play more but uh they don't that's the like reality of it they burn out really fast and they move on if you don't inject new talent in the overshik system we're kind of fucked because there will be no talent anymore. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You have a problem with that. They have to care about the tier two eventually. No, one hundred percent. And I but <laughs> make I... no bones. Like I, I think tier two definitely should get yeah. a lot more support, and we do need that. But it, it, it was like a weird silver lining that you know. Interested to see your thoughts. On. Can I ask? Do you follow any other esports? Uh, from. Far away, relatively, like what I follow is more so the performance psychologist in teams. Like, I'm interested to see how it works for them, like how the players are different and mm -hmm. everything. And I've been trying unsuccessfully so far to like get some, just understand, like get more context. I've talked a little bit when I was in Boston with the coaches from uh, our card team at the time, uh, just to understand like how it's how it is for them, like how different it is for them. Like Overwatch in itself is very unique. Yeah, especially for instance, yeah, in the way like the players burn out so fast. In Call of Duty, I feel like I don't know the scene, the scene that much, but I feel like the players can grow much older and come go back to tier two much more easily as well and come back in tier ones. Um, 
League of Legends. I'm not too sure, but I feel like yeah, or Counter Strike, for instance, like the players can play a very long career usually in like the traditional FPSs and everything. Mm-hmm. So no, I don't follow the scenes that much. I try to follow like what's going on around the scene a little bit. Mm. I had for a long time had this theory around I don't know if you know a special skill. Special skill is like if you take an Olympic archer at the Olympic mm-hmm. range, they are insane, right? Now you move the target just like two meters out and they lose a yeah. lot of efficiency. Now, yeah. you know what we do pretty much every other patch? We make the, the DPS move a little bit more quickly. Muscle memory destroyed. Mm. We make the model a little bit smaller. Muscle memory destroyed. We like take the time it takes for a vet- widow zoom in to um, get, get like the one-shot headshot muscle memory destroyed right like all of that we constantly reset it and when i asked i think was it last year yeah i think last year i asked cs players um why they think their career is so long and two of them that knew overwatch pretty well and played it uh, during a time uh just said like the reason why we can do this is like because the game doesn't change that drastically mm. like we can get away like all of my mechanical skill a lot of it is crystallized. I just need to keep up with some aim laps every day, and that's fine. Mm, I just need right. to... But everything else is then can go into strategy. To be fair, there's another burnout aspect in in, uh, in CS, which is travel. That's a different... Yeah. They have sure, a different right. uh, pressure there. But I feel, and why I ask if you know other esports is, I feel like the amount of sheer practice and grind that a lot of these top players put in really isn't that normal on average i I think even in league of legends i I follow this discussion around like now the west lose you uh going to korean blocks i think they're still on four hour blocks or total of four hour of course i'm not sure if that just means they need more review for each block and therefore they wait their days just as long Mm -hmm. But like also looking at the Valorant aspects and everything, I just always am very surprised how every time someone gives me this data, it's on average 20%, at least less than the median that I know that Overwatch League teams practice, where now three blocks right. is established, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a fair point. And I think, yeah, I've heard some people talk about it here and there, about like, but yeah, the amount of practice that we have in Overwatch League Mostly dictated, I think, by like the Korean standards of work ethic, where they just play, 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 and they just burn like players burn out in like two, three years, but they play extremely competitively for two, three years. So you have to keep up. If you don't want to lose, you have to practice the same, right? Which is something, for instance, with in in Vancouver that I'm going to try to play a little bit with, uh, allow more time for the players to rest, make sure that like for like I'm mostly going to do like two blocks a day. Sometimes we'll have to play three, but mostly do two blocks a day. We're like full focus on these two blocks. Reviews around it. It's still going to be relatively long days, but compared to the average in a watch league, I want to try and experiment with more rest time. Uh, but yeah, I think it was maybe, maybe I've seen like an interview. Maybe it was with uh, UES character of like maybe Gumba talking about it. Well, like he was talking because he went to Valorant and he was like, uh, but yeah, yeah. I might be wrong. Don't quote me on that, but about like the fact that like Overwatch League players in general work much harder, but because they don't have a choice, I think I've seen it to the extreme, very very extreme in Boston, where like we would work 10, 12, more than 12 hours a day, 
which is obviously way, way too much. And well, players burn out really fast and they don't play that well. The more time you put into, there's only so much they can play. Three blocks, I think, is the limit. You go more than that, then they're going to start playing very, very bad because, uh, yeah, I think that's a good point as well, what you were pointing out, Jiska. And I've played the game as well, and sometimes still it's hard for me to remember. The game is kind of draining to play. There is so much you need to pay attention to. The pace is super fast that they actually, I remember when I was playing, when you have to, if, if you have like some, especially if you have like responsibility in self short call, and when you're a good player anyways, you need to anticipate what's going to happen every fight and everything. So fast paced that like you play two blocks, you're already kind of right. Mm. So I assume maybe in like some other sports, it's more or less the same where you have to put a lot of attention everywhere, but Overwatch just has so many of this stuff. It's like meta changing constantly. Uh, and super high pressure from like this uh, high top tier that like practice all the time and everything. So yeah, that explains, I think, a lot of the burnout that happened in the league. Yeah, it's a it's game a- that kind of chews everybody up and spits them out. It demands a lot. It's also like, I think a lot of the regionalization keeps it from being that excessive in the Western leagues and league, where it's like, you're not, like right. you have region locking, right? Like you can only get so many uh, Korean or Chinese players in. For yeah. us, it's like 60% of the league is now Korean. Therefore, you know, who di- dictates the culture and sets like the tone for everyone and everyone is constantly competing with everyone. Therefore, mm. like there's there's yeah. no breaks on this train of uh, like just really practicing hard. And especially like the the cultural background where people aren't used to that type of grind. That's especially, especially hard. And that's why we... I almost expect that is also why we saw the trend move more. Like we've been moving the needle towards more uh, APAC players rather than less. I think I did the count of the... Okay, let me not mess this up. I think currently exactly 60% of the NA region of those that we know are uh, Korean players. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And that's the that dictates the culture. I kind of love it because, like, that just means like we're for a relatively young esport. I think like we've optimized for high levels of play very well. It's just like yep. destroyed a lot of cool storylines. It's just making. I mean, it's definitely the narratives are taking a hit, but it's also finding the balance, right? It's about you know, yeah. and this kind of rotates towards Askoff and and what his kind of views are with Vancouver. But it sounds like. You know, Boston was maybe a little bit too far, a little too close to the sun, a little too hot. So we have to cool it off a little bit. We got to back up and find that balance where it's efficient, but it's also it meets the standard that, you know, Overwatch League okay. expects. Can, can I really f- quickly flank in? And you can stone face this, yep. Askoft, but <laughs> like from my information, you guys were also ridiculous in the amount of... Uh, blocks you that you were running like from what i know like yeah. you even scrimped your academy team sometimes after everyone else was already done doing blocks with and the other other overwatch teams, teams yeah. are like yeah no we locked off for today okay academy team let's go for another round yeah uh no that did happen two yeah proportion that are just way too much i think it just uh that was when Lori was head coach mm-hmm. just in general like the mindset that he had about it was very korean about like you have to keep working you keep working, you keep working until you improve. To be fair, I don't like really... I mean, for sure, this way of working wasn't good because it was too much playing. Not enough rest, not enough, you know, uh, it's time to like, uh, for just for you for like to incorporate information and everything. Uh, but 
when you look at more successful teams that still work very hard, I, I assume Shock or that kind of teams that still have like a Korean environment. Um, I don't really have the answer to that because for me, what I want to do with Vancouver, I want to play less, but I'm still going to do reviews because the way my reasoning is like, you don't need to play that much when you have uh, players that are really good mechanically. You need them to understand the game better. So I want to do spend less time playing, more time thinking, more time for review and everything. So it's still, in general, more still a quite amount, a lot of time practicing or mm. like just in general having your mind on the game. Because I don't have an answer to, you know, Koreans being so good because they spend so much time. They just win and we lose. So, and maybe it's like, it's the same in like the, uh, the other games, mm. if I think about League of Legends, I've, I've watched a little bit, so I might be wrong, but usually we get clapped. And then the other teams that stays are the uh, Korean teams and the Chinese team. And the Korean teams and the Chinese teams work extremely hard. I assume so still in League of Legends, even though I have no insight, but I assume they work harder than the Western teams. Yeah. And they're better. And eventually you want to be good. That's why you compete. That's why you spend so much time on your life on it. So uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I kind of extrapolate, but what you, for sure, in Boston, that wasn't the right system, but still, I don't think the right system is chilling too much. Uh, you still just like maybe like a better optimization so that they don't have to play all the time. More thinking, I think, is the best. I also really quickly like because I know that I I am empath an empath for the outrageous comments. Like someone will quote like this one like some one team that just like in League of Legends also go, goes out of their way and like practices as much as the top Koreans. And therefore the, the really important thing is like scene average, right? Like is everyone grinding this high, uh, this much and therefore elevating the entire scene that then has also like an interconnecting aspect where now your practice partners get better also because they swim more. And therefore like it, it's, it doesn't matter that one or two LCS teams go really hard and get away from mm. the field It like it's about the entire field working super hard or not super hard, but very effectively to whatever player type they have, therefore lifting everyone up and therefore like, you know, just therefore becoming like a, an exponential effect of getting ahead of uh, scenes that aren't as effective at it. Right. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, I think just that makes sense. preempting the, the like outlier <laughs> posting. Like, <laughs> I mean, that, that's never gonna stop people from doing it. Yeah. But I, I know, Askoff, you brought up kind of sports psychology and, and performance coaching. Mm. Is there not? And, and Yiska, you might you might flank in here with the answer to this question because I'm looking for like, is there not like a theory or a term for like the the like the the learning through the rest or like these intermittent breaks actually tend to help you perform better or at least like retain information or, or maybe even learn the subject matter at, at a higher rate. Is there, is there not like proven studies that support that? For sure. Um, yeah, they are. They, I, I'm not aware of any specific about video games, but I don't think it should differentiate right. that much different from like anything else in life. Mm. I don't remember if there's like, um, any specific uh, term about it, but I did read about it, about yeah. just the fact that, yeah, uh, you know, just by resting, allowing your brain to just uh, process the information, you learn better. It just feels natural as well. 
with like experimenting a little bit with coaching and playing and everything. Yeah. When you play, play, play without stopping to think, it doesn't work. And when you do VOD reviews for four hours, it also doesn't work because there's just too much information you cannot process. So, yeah. I think even anecdotally, I think most people will have those same kind of experiences where they'll like grind at something for a little bit and then take a little bit of a break and then come back to it and be like, wow, like I feel like way more confident. Like I feel like I'm hitting these shots or I feel like I'm, you yeah. know, executing whatever tasks that I'm, you know, set out to do way better than than I have. Like that's kind of crazy. Maybe I should take more breaks, right? I feel like that's like a, a very human experience to kind of have. I think that's what... Um... That's yeah, and it's very interesting because I mean I don't want to deviate too much if you guys want to move on, but yes. I'm finishing a master degree in performance psychology that I was doing part time, uh, and it's a good thing that it stops now because it's like I, I don't know how I spend time on that when we're working so much in Boston. I wouldn't do it again, <laughs> but I'm talking a little bit about uh, with some players. Mm-hmm. It's anonymous, so I can't give names, but I'm talking sure. about like the impact of social media on uh, mm-hmm. performance in esports, uh, and so I have knowledge of like all these theories about how do you cope with pressure as an athlete and everything the, the players don't usually they don't really not super familiar with performance psychology but when you talk about it you realize like the coping situation coping mechanism and everything that the top tier athletes in sports do uh, they do it as well they just don't realize it so there's this aspect of kind of what you are saying volumen of like they just by experience they build these kind of mechanisms and everything uh, that traditional experts have they just most whisper players when i talked about it with them they don't even realize that they have these mechanisms but they definitely do i mean you have no choice at some point when you face such high pressure and you've been playing for a while eventually you build habits and yeah tends to be good habits if you're still at the top yeah technically yeah kind of hard to the the Say whatever you will about esports or Overwatch as a, as a specific game under the umbrella of esports, but you know, having having com- having competition kind of is a, is the the grand selector of of talent, like you said, yeah. like subconsciously whether you know it or not, like you're finding those those pathways that have been carved through traditional sports through maybe even human human evolution that uh you know just get you where you need to go. Let's say. So I guess in a in a you know natural way, like how does that incorporate itself within the 2023 Vancouver Titans? Obviously, you know it's lean and mean right now. Five total players signed, a lot of familiar faces coming from your time <laughs> at Boston. So is, is that kind of the point? Like, is this kind of also incorporating with some of those familiar faces, where it's like, okay, I know my system, I know these players, they kind of they kind of work, right? Is that is yeah. That yeah, it's mostly it. Um, I have my system, like we were talking a bit off about it, uh, really based around like developing autonomy in a player. I want the players to feel like they are, you know, part of the team. They have like a power in uh, deciding what's going to be next for the team in terms of strategy and everything. Mm. Um, because that's the way I played when I was a player, uh, because there was no coaches back then in tier two. Uh, so you had to, nobody was giving you the answers, right? So you had to go for it. You had to self-review. You have to, and um, eventually when you look at it, even beyond esports, mm. you take the example of a guy like, it's a very extreme example, but like a guy like Kobe Bryant. Sure. Uh, there is like so much YouTube motivational videos of him about how much he would tend to, at the beginning of his career, go and talk to players, uh, also players that were better than him at the time, and be like, how do you do this move? How do you do, why do you do that and everything? He was constantly looking for information, going to contact the coaches, even if he didn't know them, 
just to get more information, right? On his mm. own, nobody was pushing him to do that. Uh, so of course it's very extreme, but in general, I think it's the right mindset. If you want to be a good player, and I think all great players, even in the Overwatch League, they're very smart. Uh, you can take the example in Overwatch League, it's going to be a bit more of a <laughs> uh, discussed uh, subject, but one guy that I met, uh, Striker, for mm -hmm. a short time, I think he's a great player, obviously he has like problems in, in terms of like his mindset and everything sometimes, but uh, I could see that he was very smart about the game. It's not only that like uh, mechanically he was very good, it's also that like in terms of how he understands the macro and everything and how he's doing the effort to get this information. He's not waiting for his coach to get give him the info. He's going to get it. So to go back to like the subject of Vancouver, yeah, I selected these players because I have a very specific system about developing autonomy that gives power to the players. Uh, so I need players that are like not dickheads and able to handle it. Mm -hmm. And I need players that are looking and craving for that kind of autonomy. That's why we were discussing as well a bit earlier. I cannot coach all players. I need these kind of specific players that are looking for this system. I know this guy from Boston would work in my system. And they didn't play the best they could in Boston because it wasn't the system that was in place. Uh, so that's why I brought them in. But even Luca, uh, so uh, Speedily and uh, Aspire, I've talked with them a lot as well, and they match the system. These are players that I really wanted to. So, yeah, all things considered, yeah, it's very much about the system that I have in mind and the players fitting it. Mm -hmm. Is it fair? I think the, and this was definitely something that we kind of brought up prior to the show, but uh, I don't know if we got like a, a, a firm definition. Would you consider this a more, like, the the key here, the, the like, um, the, the the focus of what you're saying seems to be autonomy. And I feel like mm. what the public is going to take from that is like, oh, Vancouver is like this loose team. It's not loose. It's not completely player driven. It's just, yeah. you know, allowing more of the power to go to the players. Is that kind of a fair? Yeah. And it's it's still um, controlled. Right. There's still a part of autonomy. And like the last word is for the head coach, right? Mm -hmm. But you still want more players to go to the play, and I power to go to the players. And I understand, like for most people, I mean, mm. most people don't understand the coach's job. Yeah. Uh, when I tell them I'm a coach, like they don't understand. And even in the scene, the people that like some of the fans that follow, they don't even understand what the coach are doing. They think coach and manager are the same thing. So there's a lot of misunderstanding. It's all very new. This whole autonomy development uh, way of coaching, uh, but it's. Phil, I think it's Phil Jackson. Jackson, I read his book that uh, had a good saying about it because I don't know if you guys watched The Last Dance or read yeah. about his work and everything, but he had this kind of uh, very autonomy-driven way of coaching as well, where he was involving the players, making sure that like the focus was more on unity. And he was saying himself that like he tried to have every player, even the rookie, have like some kind of responsibility in the team. And for the players, you have to think about it from their perspective. They feel uh, empowered, they feel involved. They want to be feel involved, like you know, they compete. They want to be in a team. Uh, this is like more or less what they want. So they then you help them as a coach to find balance because when you give them power, obviously they shouldn't abuse it. But yeah, Phil Jackson, I think was a, had a great way of saying it. Where like when you give up power, usually in a team, paradoxically, uh, I don't know if it's the word in English, but you gain some because just the players respect you much more when. They see that you're not here to just be the top dog in the room and yell all the time. And so, but there's a balance to find, obviously. You mm -hmm. cannot give up all authority as a head coach, but you, as I said, 
for me, the ideal system must be more towards developing the autonomy in the players. Yeah, there's definitely been, I think, across esports as a whole, this this the the schools of thought between like this very militaristic where the coach is very strictly it, like leading the pack and all the players have to file behind them and you know that's just you know a very rigid hierarchy of things and then there is more autonomy there are more loose styles and it kind of like you said it depends on the group of people and, and the players right yeah definitely i'm not saying for me it's the best system I'm not saying it's the best system for everything, for everyone, especially because we have such a worldwide league. Uh, and for instance, Koreans in general tend to not understand the system because it's absolutely not the way they've been uh, raised and like the system of values and the way they see, uh, you know, the whole power thing. So sometimes it doesn't work for them. But even in like very, very rigid system that I've seen some Koreans do, there is sometimes still a autonomy part there still is trust uh, from like the head coach to some degree. It's not as developed, I guess, as like in like the autonomy supportive Western style. But even in very rigid style, sometimes the players are still getting yelled at a lot, but then still have a really good relationship with the coach outside of the game. And the coach talk to them and be like, okay, so when I yell at you, they are like, you know, I want you to know this and everything. What do you think about it? I've seen that happen even with Lori sometimes, right? Like, he would tend to be very, very tough. Not that Lori was like the best, obviously, with the results we had, but uh, I could see that even in a very tough situ- situation, there was still some development of autonomy for the players. I think in general, it's inherent to like just human that wants to grow and be listened to. But definitely for some system, other people, uh, fully autonomy mm-hmm. or like mostly autonomy supportive system don't work for them. Yeah. Can I ask? So, okay. Autonomy development, my, my sister has a one-year-old, yeah. right? And there, it's very, like, transparent, right? Like, Coach okay. my nephew. Okay, yes. so, no, no, like, they, they I understand it, okay? A millionaire. They, they I understand it, like, okay, he spills something, you give him the napkin, or he does can't get reach everywhere where he spilled it, okay, you lift him up instead of doing the clean yourself. Therefore, mm-hmm. developing his autonomy, he can't necessarily like you know the the places he can't reach he can't reach it's not like he can stand there and grow three centimeters even though i will say sometimes it feels like he does exactly that like i Mm. turn around and he has grown another one but like i understand it there how do you do that with basically adults uh it's very different actually and and i mean i'm very very not familiar with how autonomy how autonomy is developed in children and I would tend to think that you need to be much more restrictive and you cannot be fully develop the autonomy because I would tend to think, but I don't want to go too much in the subject. I don't know much that the right. children needs, uh, you know, barriers around them. So figure of speech, of course, uh, to grow. But um, the guys I have, have adults, uh, they've been thinking about the game and about the, the players I have, I have at least thinking about the game, about how they want the team to be for years and years and years. They have experience with it. Usually what they need is someone that let them express themselves. So it's much, much easier for me to, because I don't have to teach them everything. Usually they know, the players know how they want to play and everything. Sometimes they need to be like guided towards the right path, especially when it comes to think about like, yeah, handling uh, the responsibility of autonomy for like how you talk to your teammates, how you bring up subjects, how you like not to sound always super negative, how to be honest, but still 
mm-hmm. not sound like an asshole. This kind of stuff usually they're not super familiar to. They need guidance. Otherwise, when it comes to autonomy in game about what they want to do in game and everything, there's a player's feeling at this level of play and like they understand the game. At least the players, I, I, again, the players that I wanted and that I had, they think about the game all the time. They do that literally all the time. They don't stop. So it's just about like bringing all of the ideas together. But usually autonomy supportive only means that like you can unleash them and then you try to guide them so that it kind of works together. But there isn't that much teaching to do mm-hmm. in itself. More of the way I, I see it, at least at this level of play. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I I remember like an anecdote from I, I don't know if you know Andrew Huberman. Um, he's like a uh, that goes stare at the sun. Yeah, yeah, we know, we know, we know, Mister <laughs> Sun stare. Right, right. So basically, his point was um, like the best human emotion. You would think like the best human emotion is like arriving right like winning the overwatch league and then that moment that's the peak human experience and if i had a button that could consistently reproduce that feeling i would hit that all day every day right it's not necessarily true for most most people what button they would actually hit most every day all day is the button of emotion of here's a task that is decently challenging but i am capable of achieving and i'm a and I believe that I'm just about to. That is peak human emotion. It's not arriving. It is just being that that far away from it and having the capacity to, right? And that mm-hmm. really struck me like, I've, uh, is it a lot of like reframing goals and whatnot? Is it like, okay, w- I, I assume you guys didn't like say, okay, we're going to necessarily win the league next year. Like we're... we're up against like some pretty sick teams i remember like um christopher saying okay realistically guys like look at us uh we look at our budget like it's us against the world we barely can't lose and therefore like they were then able to outperform their resources is it this smart reframing sometimes um yeah i think it's an interesting thought um Brings me like a couple of ideas. Yeah, like definitely. I mean, I like what Christopher did with his team. Obviously, the way he, like used the narrative of everybody thought London was trash to like fuel some motivation. Obviously, yeah, like very rookie players, players that were like very overlooked at. Uh, so it worked for him that way. But this kind of seeing a bit off. But I don't think it's necessarily what I'm going to do with my team, uh, just because I don't think he would fit them that much. But in general, in terms of like goal-setting and everything, that's interesting what you're saying. It's like it's a concept as well in performance psychology that you don't want to put goals that are unattainable. You want goals that are reachable, that are hard, but reachable, right? And then you want to make him progress. They reach that goal when you put another one that is a bit higher, higher, higher. Mm-hmm. So I never thought about it like in a very philosophical way of like that's what really drives you. In general, in my coaching, I didn't set up a goal yet, and I don't think I will. The players have theirs about like I want to reach, you know, playoffs. I want to win this or that. I would tend to try to focus from my exper- my point of view and like the point of view of like staff and everything. We're gonna try to push much more for focusing on the process. Mm. Uh, so you focus on the process. You practice well. You establish very good basis and everything, and then the wins will take care of itself. Just that, just like personal experience, because I don't. It's like just adding another useless external pressure when I'm like, okay, we really need to get get to playoff guys. 
from my perspective, I mean, from me as a coach, I don't think it's needed that I say that because they already have this drive. Uh, I think it's much more comforting for when your coach tells you just focus on practice, 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 practice. The win will take care of itself, especially when you start having like a few years of experience in the league. You have to focus on the process. It cannot be only about winning. And if you don't win, you're absolutely crushed, right? So you play the game when you win. That's great. Usually there isn't much to learn. Sometimes there is, but and when you lose, then you get something to learn. So you set up new goals, keeps the, you know, the machine going. Mm-hmm. There's one yeah, thing. That's kind of like the West Side. There's one thing that I hear in what you're saying that I actually never thought about, and I still love, and I think that's the growth vector going forward. Because you you, you guys remember like where. Houston Outlaws had this thing where, like, I think it was with Monty and, you know, like, the back and forth, like, um, mm. like should we pl- be playing GOATs even though it's oh, very yeah. unlikely that we're ever going to be the best in the world or should we play something else? And then, uh, like, some of the Outlaws players said, you don't know what it means as a competitor to have to say, okay, we can never be this good at that. Therefore, right. like, let's, let's go another round. And then eventually... I think Chengdu at like at the latest proved that you actually can succeed by just playing your game, and then eventually I think Shanghai at least like season two, stage three, where they won it without mm-hmm. without playing goats, proved that to, like that is absolutely feasible to go there. So mm. okay, we now have accepted that sometimes your best strategy is not to play the absolute meta strategy. That's true for London and whatever, right? Like, um, but it's yeah. to play the strategy that's best suited to your team. Okay, I think that's now accepted knowledge in your Overwatch League. What is not, mm-hmm. doesn't feel that accepted, and what I hear in you saying is like, let's not just play what we're best at, but let's practice in the way that our team functions, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how the character of this team, how we're made up. And I actually, like, if someone tells me, okay, we're maybe only going to do one block today on Tuesdays or whatever, that is, like, I I wouldn't maybe, based on what you're saying, immediately say, okay, you guys are lazy and you're not going to make it, but, like, why? Okay, explain to me how you're going to lose that time or why, what is the idiosyncratic, like, attribute about your team, why that makes sense, right? Like, so... Do you think like this is the this is the way forward? Just like really clearly delineating or defining what your team is good at and what it really needs in terms of the character of the players and the, maybe the psychological makeup of the players, what they're searching. Is that the new growth vector? Yeah, I, I think so. I think in general, just as a coach, that's what you need to focus on: just the process of making sure they always grow. I think the the when you go yeah in depth about like strategy and like playing uh, playing a certain composition or like dodging it and playing more to like dodging the meta playing more to your strengths and everything. Uh, personally, I tend to be on the uh, side of like meta doesn't really mean that much. You should play to your strength. That kind of depends, but you have to match this reality with the fact that the players they also want to show that they have flexibility. Uh, as you said, yes, yeah, Sometimes for some players, it's hard to say. We cannot be good at this composition because they're competitor. They always want to win. They want to be the best. So when you say, when you go as a coach again, you go to a player and you're like, no, we can't play this composition because you know our Reinhardt isn't that great. We can't play goods. If I go and say that to Punk, for instance, even though Punk Reinhardt knows that like his Reinhardt is not the best, 
still going to hurt him because he wants to be good at everything, right? So there's a balance to find, but that's like the, my job, I guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, otherwise, uh, aside from that, focusing on the growth, always goals, always for like individual goals and team goals, focus on the process. That's like the best way to make sure that you win. When you reach the match day, the impact that you have a, as a coach can be great sometimes where like you make the right call or you motivate your players. Uh, and like, or you, you see like there's a flaw in the strategy of the enemy and then you fix that or like you abuse that and then you win the game. That happens. Uh, but you, you, cannot, you cannot consistently rely on it. What you can consistently rely on is just the practice and how confident you f get your players to be how well you make them play, how much, how good, much good feedback you give them and everything. So that's just what I tend to focus on. In general, it works because then you relieve also a lot of pressure from just the official and focusing only on the official. And plus, it's probably like the best way of doing things so far from what I've like, you know, tried to get in terms of reaching knowledge, reading books from what the other coaches much more successful than me did. Uh, so, yeah. I want to I want to kind of gas you up a little ask off not just because like you took the time out to come and, and hang out with us for a little bit but I think this is the first or one of the first times I, I think the other only other time that I feel like I've really had somebody answer that question was probably Christopher. Even even like because I, I followed some other esports like I've, I've tried to like really try to get a grasp or at least loosely follow like league of legends and, and other team esports. And there is this like idea of the process and like, Oh yeah, the system. And at, at times the jaded part of me feels like it's just a buzzword that people kind of throw around where it's just like, Oh yeah, trust the process. And yeah, my system. And it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Like explain like where, where, what is your system? Like, like, who are you? What do you want to get into? Like, what is your coaching style? What is that philosophy like? Nobody seems to like want to get into it. And this is like a very candid isn't the word, but it's honest. I feel like you're, you're very honest yeah. approach here. And I think I, that's something I think you kind of have to respect, right? Like I, I respect it about you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the process in general, it's always going to be a bit vague. We could go in details about what I do and everything, but uh, yeah, I mean, I remember even at some point in the season, my players was kind of ming-ming because I was always saying focus on the process yeah. and everything. But I think in general, the players, especially the ones that I got, they do understand that, you know, practice is what makes perfect eventually. Even for them, I mean, I don't want to diverge too much from like the subject and everything, but practice is like the number one source. It's like it's so... Also, it's something that the players believe in. It's also something that is like, a, in a theory in performance psychology, is like practice is the best source of motivation and confidence. Uh, there is nothing much better than practice and making sure that like you know what you're doing and like you feel confident about yourself. Like I was citing Kobe Bryant earlier on, and it's still the same. You can find these videos online where he says like. Someone asked him, like, well, how is it that you always feel so confident on the field and everything? And he's like, well, I never make a move that I haven't done a hundred times before in practice, right? So I always feel confident because the confidence comes from preparation. So I think focusing on preparation in general for a coach is the best because it relieves a lot of pressure from yourself as well. And it's just, yeah, the whole process. That's like the process, I think. Just making sure practice is right. You have the good team environment and everything. Right. I... I'm it's I'm sorry this is my psychological makeup but I got a little bit try to poke holes uh into the sure. into that because okay I understand like four four or five people 
of you come over from Boston, you you know what you got. There's one established mm-hmm. player that. I mean, maybe maybe you had a say in st- like keeping him around. Maybe that's that was something the orc wanted. Also, like he's kind of like seen as this. I I don't want to say king of Vancouver, but the, certainly the best player probably last season um, in Aspire, right? So yeah. here's here's the here's here comes the most unfair framing, right? We have a player mm. that. We we know he's he has some cockiness at least like that's what what the reputation is here. He has been the outstanding player. There have been rumors about him maybe wanting to go to another team to join up with friends, and yep. allegedly has been denied or whatever. I, I'm not sure if that's true. Yep. Like, and now that guy also needs to fill your puzzle that you you know the, like the, all the puzzle pieces that you have assembled. Is is that going to mm. work? Yeah, I think so because as I said, like I have. My, my system was like the most important thing to me, um, and then ov- obviously I have to make it work with what Vancouver wants. But uh, when Dennis recruited me, like he told me, like yeah, Aspire is staying, and I was like, cool. You know, you know, I think he's the right player and everything. But I just need to make sure, like, you know, he's going to be able to work for me, uh, with me, right? And he's going to like understand my mindset because, as I said, like I cannot coach every player. So maybe he doesn't like it, and he wants another system. He prefers a system that is more like. Uh, oh, whatever, just different. Uh, I had a very, very long talk with Aspire. I remember the first time I talked with him, just to explain to him, like, this is my system. That's what I like, and I like try to get his experience and everything. And we, yeah, the first time we talked, we talked for like an hour because he was like relating, I think, to my system. And I told him, like, if you don't feel confident uh, in this system and you feel like it's not going to work, you don't want to be in this team. I don't want to force you to be in this team. So we can trade you. Uh, and yeah, there's there's the only thing that has been is like this thing with the team that you are talking about, Iska. It didn't work out, and it wasn't on our end. We tried to make it work because he asked for us. Like he was like, um, you know, respecting uh, what I wanted to build, but there was like this thing with his friends and everything. That's fine. Didn't work out on it, on our end. He's still staying, and he still believes in the project. Uh, as I said, like I had conversation with that with all the players about this is the system that I'm going to build. I need to make sure you fit in because. Uh, as I said, like a system that is based around autonomy with the wrong players, it can go bad uh, very fast. So, and same discussion with PDD, you know, um, which is why I'm, you know, I'm happy to have them both on the team. Even though you're right for Aspire, technically I didn't have a choice, but I did because we agreed, Denis and I, like if he says that he wants to go away, he doesn't believe in this team and everything, we'll try to trade him. But he did believe in the team, so that's why he stayed. For sure, and presumably, like he probably could have gone elsewhere, but chose you over those guys. Um, elsewhere, as in other than the obvious one. Yeah. Um. So that, like, there's, there's, to me, there's some uh confirmation that he wants to be in that system. But yeah, that's that was the interesting one, and it's also like in me, just like having seen the pattern, like this in the same way. I always feel like a team like the Toronto Defined are now are and the team that for instance um ATL had last year if you're off to a bad start that's kind of that you you have to fight really hard to get back because as the momentum gets rolling in a team like that with that type of you know internal atmosphere that's that runs itself right now what do you do if you lose the first, first three matches can you trust the process then <laughs> I don't know. 
uh, I have no idea how they're gonna handle it. I think it's very, very interesting to have them in the league, but I don't know how Castle think about handling it. Like, yeah, you know, it's his goal, his job. That's the team he wanted, I assume. So I'm pretty sure he has a plan for it. Uh, as I said, for me, like that's the that's the kind of team. Uh, I don't see how I could have like any positive impact for them. But you know, there is like different systems that exist that can work as well. So mm. we'll see. I, I won't go too much into this subject. Really, honestly, in general, I just focus on my team. What the other teams are doing, not so much. That makes sense. It's probably best to you know understand you know your team at the you know at the premium. Like you need to put them first. Um, so in that same way, you know, you, you kind of alluded to you know sugar free and obviously his um legacy let's say within na's you know tier two scene as you know mm. probably one of the best rookies you know coming up from a long long time coming you know i think a lot of people have been waiting um he's been absent from the tier two scene for i want to say at least a year or two yeah mm. since last, early last year um, so what was that kind of recruitment process like? I know that with somebody that, again, everybody was, you know, excited to see a name that, you know, was very, uh, I think the the Vancouver Titans uh, Twitter engagements shot up quite a bit that day. So you kind of walk us through what that, that approach went. Right. So that was probably the most uh, complicated one because for all those players, I had an idea of uh, how they were and I had like uh, data and confirmation that they were good players as well. Uh, like from, because obviously like XPDD was very, very good before, but he was like 14 to 16. Uh, right. And then there was like a two years break, right? All of the other players, obviously the guys from Boston, I trust them. Uh, Aspire, I know was a very good player uh, already. And I talked with him and I know that like, you know, he was on the right mindset. Uh, speedily, I had no, clue of really knowing if he could still be good so it was just like a a feeling that like this kind of talent usually don't go away mm. and like he could still be good he was grinding ranked a lot and like i could see that like you know consistently he was playing well i was watching his stream a little bit and everything but most importantly so i think in terms of talent like there was no direct confirmation compared to the others but we still trust that he would be good and then it was more like on the how he's as like a teammate that was kind of hard to get because even we didn't hear anything bad about him. But even if we did hear something bad about him as a teammate, he was 14 or 15, right. you know, so how much can you really blame him? <laughs> so you can't, you can't really know. So I, again, it's a, the same kind of stuff. Like the first thing I ask is like, I want to have a conversation with him. And then so I explained my system very uh, straight to the point about what I wanted it to be, uh, what I expect from my players, what I want to put like, you know, in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had some talks with some players during the off season uh, that you know we were kind of interested in from like a uh, like a performance aspect. Sure. They were really good, but when I had a talk with them about what I wanted to do with the team and everything, you can feel that like it's not something that they really it didn't click that much. You know, right. it didn't connect with them. Not that much. And with the players that we had and Speedy as well, I felt like he did connect. So, and it seemed like nice kid, really yeah. eager to play and everything. So. Because obviously, like I keep talking about uh, how it's important for me that the players fit the system, and but also wanted good players because mm. <laughs> I want to win. So and the skill is very important. You can be the great best teammate that you want and have like all of the good mechanisms and everything in place, but if you cannot play well, 
you're not going to win. Yeah. What are you doing, really? For sure. And and correct me if I'm wrong. And and maybe maybe I'm just speaking out of school here. As, as a, Fuck. As... Did I say... Sorry, um, I just said... Did I say speedily? Because I meant to say sugar-free this whole yeah, time. Yeah. In, in my team, I don't use... I don't like using... Uh, nickname, so I always call him Lenny, right? So I say mm. Lenny, Lenny, and then that's look at that's like the only player that I almost never called by his nickname. So I don't know why, but know. my bad, my boy Lenny. If you're watching this, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about you, and I'm very happy that you're in the team. I, I think sugar free. I think everybody on the team, right? Like they have this, like not it's not weird, but it's like everybody here has gone through for lack of a better term, some shit, right? Like everybody here is like overwatch resilient. You know, we, we talk about punk. We talk about faith. Crimzo has been in the league for God knows how many years, you know, sugar free has been playing since he's like in diapers. It feels like aspire went through Toronto and still, you know, is persistent. Yeah. It, it, is it, is it surprising to you? Or maybe that, maybe that was something that you wanted to select for, right. When it came to like this, just like hyper resilient, really, really hungry, you know, they got a little dog in them. Like they, they really want to compete. They want to, you know, showcase their talent. They want to win. Right. Like, and yeah, it's that drive that's pushed them this far. Is it, is it strange to you to see it like that, the commonality between all the players is it, or was that? No, no, that was, that was very thought about already. Ah, okay. uh, I was kind of looking for, so the, obviously like with Vancouver uh, and like the budget that we had, uh, you know, you have to look for players that have not yet reached their full potential. Uh, you cannot get like the absolute top tier players uh, uh, and everything. Uh, so the ones that I were looking f- to have mostly, and that's why I got with like Punk, Aspire, uh, and more or less all of them, aside from Speedy, which is kind of, uh, not Speedy, sorry, but I keep fucking up, but Sugar Free, that is kind of like apart because like he comes into the league, it's going to be his first year. He right. kind of performed already, which is why I had to have like a specific conversation with him because he was... Uh, doing good with Atlanta Academy, right? Mm-hmm. Before. Uh, all the other ones, we they had performed in bad teams. So mm-hmm. that shows some resilience and that kind of like, I think it's a strong motivator as well. Yeah. When, you know, they feel like they could be better and they could like perform better and bring better results. And now I give them an opportunity to do so, right? So I'm kind of looking for that like interesting motivation. I think it's very important because you can try to one thing that you cannot really impact that much as a coach, as much as we would like to think we do, is really motivation to play. So you can create like a good environment and you can have like motivational speech and everything. But the very interesting motivation to play and the guy that like the wants to compete, this you don't have that much impact on. Like the very thing that makes them motivated to play. And I think when you have a player that is very competitive and he had this kind of life experience that this guy had. Uh, aside from, you know, sugar free, um, it like is a good for me, uh, relatively uh, stable proof that you know they want it for next mm-hmm. season. But for sugar free, I'm pretty sure he wants it nonetheless. He seems extremely, extremely competitive in everything he does. So I'm yeah. not so worried. They, it, there's no question when it comes to talent. And then when you look at his pedigree coming up from, you know, the ATs, the Atlanta Academy, you said, um, even grinding, I don't know how many times it's, it doesn't surprise me when I see a post on, you know, Reddit where it's just like, oh yeah, sure. Free's like number one and number five on the, the NA ranked ladder. It's like, yeah, like this kid's yeah. talented. Like I'm not, I'm not one to like look at streams and like, you know, try to get into the eye test of them playing on the ladder, but 
it's it's it shows right if you can consistently place in those ladder positions on top of as you know a piece of evidence to support how good you are you know it's it, there's something to it right it's the, the kid is incredibly talented and i think <laughs> playing overwatch this long it kind of has to you know put some maturity you know on you it put it, put, it puts a little hair on your chest I feel like this is it's it's the trenches out here so if if you've gone this long and you're still you know eager to compete um, I think he's probably among, you know, among really, really good company, right? Yeah, I think so. I think, and again, I think if it's the, if it's the project, mm. so no, I'm very happy to have him on board. Um, especially because also I have a lot of, I mean, you can honestly call all of my, all of my players veterans com- considering yeah. the average length of a career in Overwatch. So it's good to have like fresh blood as well, even though sugar free, I mean, he's, he's, Kind of a rookie because it's his first year in the league, but yeah. he also has prior experience at very high level. But it's still fresh blood, so mm-hmm. you know it's good. I like having balance in general, just in general as well in terms of like how they live their life because you know they have apartment there and everything. Just having if Sugar Free needs help, just sending up you know random stuff about like his apartment or anything. Just getting into the habit of having good routines in the morning and everything. Having players that have already went through like shitty situation or like woke up 10 minutes before scream then they realize mm-hmm. it really sucks hard so now they have good routines in place just teaching by like you know example uh i really like this dynamic in general which is why it kind of sucks that we don't have more talents coming up yeah and then, but yeah yeah it's it's a weird case in the overwatch league where yes he's a rookie but also he's like really Not essentially really. like really. a, a, a like in the as a rookie as i'm gonna get <laughs> yeah. Huxal was a rookie right like um yeah because Big i bunny ears on that i i remember uh like he was in crayfeld with his parents in 2019 i think it was uh playing mm-hmm. atlantic showdown back then like you know let's like, that's four years ago now it's yeah it, it's been a while for sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's true Still taking names, though. Is there... I think we kind of talked about this prior to the show, but I think it's only fair that we bring it up. Obviously, you know, we brought up Vancouver being lean and mean right now. Is there any, you know, foreseeable future? Is there any plans to maybe expand the roster? Is there anything that you can kind of speak on publicly? Um, We'll see. Not so much right now. Okay. The... Whole concept of the team that I really liked about, yeah, obviously we talked about it before, but um, I don't really like that much the idea of subs mm-hmm. in esports just because they tend to just sit and watch screams compared to traditional sports where they can be, you know, involved in the whole team process and practice and everything. Most teams now don't have academy teams anymore. And even when they had academy, the academy teams needed to be competitive enough to play with the main team. And in which case you could include the subs and everything. That's fine. But I don't like the idea of a sub sitting and just not being able to play. It creates a bad dynamic as well, I think, in the team between the guy that plays and the guy that is on the bench. And usually, yeah, the guy that is on the bench ends up being dropping massively in skill because he doesn't practice. So the gaps widen and widen. And at some point, like the sub is kind of useless. He gets depressed. Uh, and, you know, that's not really what I liked as well so that's like the whole idea as well with like that's the discussion i had with the players and the trust that i put in them uh, and everything is kind of like linked together as well with like the the budget that we have and we still wanted a good team 
mm. uh, you know, you had to make choices around with like the there were specific players that I really wanted, uh, and I got all of the players that I wanted, but they have to fit in the budget, which you know is not that bad, but it's not enormous compared to some other teams as well. So I'd rather have these five guys than seven, but then I have drops in skills, right? Because I want to win games, so. I'd rather have that. And then if there's complication mid-season, we have a little bit of flexibility around mm-hmm. there to like add a player or anything. But right now, my number one plan is to go with these five guys. And that's like what I told them as well. Is like unless something really goes wrong during the season, here's my trust that you're going to perform at the beginning and that you can play, you know, for instance, for Punk, that mm-hmm. we're going to put you on main tanks if it's needed, if it fits our style and blah, blah, blah. Same for Faith on... Flex supports, all that kind of stuff. And same for like literally every other players, to be fair, even though it's less of a like uh, a big change. Mm-hmm. Even if it's for like Sugar Free or Aspire, if they want to play new heroes and everything, uh, that I'm not going to bench them for like the third player, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it is very important for the players. And it was, I think, like a big, a big motivation for some of them to join as well, to feel that trust and feel like, okay, I'm going to play. He's going to trust me that I play. I mean, it kind of, not to completely circle back, but, you know, it, it kind of speaks very true to what you said and you quoted Phil Jackson with, right? You gave the, the power to these players, you put the trust in them, and you get, you know, some reciprocation from that, right? Like, you, you're you allowing them the, the field to say, look, like, you're going to start 100%. Like, you, you, there's literally nobody else behind you that you can't start, so... They right. Although, although Fig Jackson had subs, <laughs> sure, <laughs> I don't know sure. how he organized that and everything. <laughs> sure. But yeah, but, just like, my my system is very specific and tailored towards right. like Overwatch and what I any sports in general, what I think is best. Uh, but I'm not saying it's like the best for every no. team and everything. If you have bigger budget and everything and the right system, you can have subs. But I'd rather not for my team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also because the the downside here is, and I think we've seen that in in a couple of teams. And I think there's probably a pretty high correlation between having two tanks and doing pretty well. Like, I don't think Dallas wins the season. Uh, maybe with Hamden, like, having... Okay, that's maybe an outlier, but I think the the their ability to flex Hanbin Fearless, pretty big. Uh, the ability mm. for um, maybe to bring in, like... Mickey for, for um, Shock was probably not inconsequential there. Some teams felt gatekept when when the meta switched wildly. For instance, like you know Houston in the Doom metas and whatnot. So it feels like you will be at the whims of meta to a decent degree, right? Yeah, I think it just uh, it's a gamble on my end of how much can the players uh, are able to play like all the heroes that they're supposed to play in their pool. So I'm I'm thinking mostly about uh, faith and punk. You know, because they're the ones that have to flex right. the hardest. Sure. It's a gamble on my end. Because also, you know, I've, I was talking in general anyways about the fact that I wanted to have like one very good player. I'd rather have one very good player than two worse, even though I can cover more heroes on paper. So I trust this very good player that I know, that I, I know his work ethic and everything, that he can play the other heroes and he can learn them. Obviously, there's going to be a learning phase. Uh, and to play them at a good enough level. Mm-hmm. It's, you know... It's the gamble I had to take, and I don't mind taking it. Uh, it fits like the whole project that I had and everything. So in general, I'm pretty confident they can they can make it work, and we can make it work. The whole thing about like we're not gonna necessarily force composition as well. We're not comfortable on and everything. We'll see 
what happens. I cannot talk about strategy and meta yet. We haven't right. started screaming yet, but no yeah. idea even what. In general, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. Even though from I can understand the criticism, and I know it's a gamble, mm -hmm. uh, but still, if like there's a if we want to play a rain composition, we're gonna play a rain composition. Or if you want mm -hmm. to play double flex, I'm not gonna let that get in the way. Yeah. I think that's kind of like a very modern Overwatch, right? Like I think the the these like sub roles between like flex and main supports are kind of bleeding away. I think obviously it's difficult to expedite that process when it comes to like, the single tank stuff, but like there again, like a lot of the the tank pool has to be opened up and the demand is high. Right. I think that's just my take though. Um in general the things are going to have to go this way a little bit more, I feel like. Mm -hmm. That's just my perspective as a coach, especially for like the tank role with how, unless you have like, you have a system where you can make two very good tanks work together uh, and you need a very, very good system for that. Mm -hmm. But like they, the, the tank player usually brings so much tempo and so important in the communication and like in general mindset and the way the, the team plays. Uh, unless you can swap two players around and they still don't impact the team and like the team works good uh, in both ways mm -hmm. uh, it's much better i think to try and develop one guy and like yeah. eventually most of the players i think want to play everything like when you get very competitive players you know they don't want to be subbed out because another guy is better at the role they want to be like hey no but i, I can play this don't worry and everything sometimes it's ego talking and everything but it's not necessarily a bad thing um so for me from a, from a coaching perspective i'd rather make this transition maybe uh you know, maybe it's not going to work, but I do believe that it will. Like, I can understand the external criticism, but it doesn't really matter to me because I'm pretty confident in sure. what I want to do. You've 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 been around, you know, somebody like Punk for quite a few quite a few uh, minutes, maybe hours, months, seasons. Let's mm. say, right? Like, you you've probably got a, a good feel for what he can do, and I think he did yep. bring out a little bit of the main tanks. Some, not a ton, but some of the main tanks last season and still looked efficient. So I, I don't think, I don't think it's out or it's without some, you know, actual evidence that you know the the, the audience can kind of see. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, there is still a part of gamble, but it's just like sure. for me, from what I know from the player and everything, for me it's a pretty winning gamble. So yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd say so. And then even still, right? Like, I know that you you talked about, like, not necessarily forcing any compositions that you don't feel comfortable with just because, you know, you think it, you know, might be, you know, better, vice versa. Um, but, like, I still, I, I think this is a team that does have, like, a very, you know, distinct style to them, right? I think there are these metas, you know, you talk about a gamble. The flip side to a gamble is you you hit a jackpot, right? I think there there's a very clear jackpot with this team that I think you can hit that, you know, you might be one of the best teams, you know, maybe top striking for top five as much as that may you know, might make you cringe, but I, I I'm gonna call a spade a spade. You know, you, you put you put a Sigma in Punk's hands, you put a Zen in Crimzo's, you, you give, you know, Faith a Brig, you know, DPS feels, you know, much more open. I think there's a real possibility that you guys can punch up. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. As I said, like in terms of uh, how we're gonna handle that composition and everything, it's not yet mm -hmm. been discussed. Maybe sure, we, you never know what's gonna happen in the season. Maybe yeah, we realize one composition or one tank doesn't work for us, and one flexible doesn't work for us. We're better off dodging the meta. I'm not putting any rules on that. We'll see. No. But yeah, I, I I see that there is potential. That's why I like this team a lot. Yeah. Because I think in terms of pure skill, 
mechanical skill, I have possibilities, you know? Mm -hmm. No, and, and I think it's important that, you know, you have that, you know, those resources in your back pocket, you know, God forbid, you know, something go wrong with one of the players, you know, you, you find out that you do need, you know, an extra set of hands at whatever position it needs to be. It sounds like you mm -hmm. do have the flexibility to you know, possibly bring in somebody, but it's not necessarily in the cards at this particular moment. It's yep. a good thing. I think that's that's probably a safe bet for the for the future and yeah. something that you guys have planned for. So I, I will also say, like, if you look at rosters across the league, I think a lot of it will be gamble this year, right? Like, it, it, there's sure. not that many 10, 12 player rosters anymore. Uh, where you can like run two entire teams. Yeah. I think a lot of gambling will be happening. It is just, I feel like it's almost disorienting. At least, like, if I put myself into your shoes and I think I could be doing the same level of job, and in the one parallel universe, we hit, I don't know, three fourths of the season, we're playing Sigma and Zarya. And the rest of the season, we're playing Monkey. Or the other alternative uh, position is we're playing only Monkey all year. Like, mm -hmm. And that has nothing to do with your individual performance. It has everything to do with what kind of meta is dominant, right? Oh. And it could be swaying, like, I think as much as, I don't know, seven, eight spots, maybe, in the global rankings. Could. Hard to tell. Maybe. We'll see. I try, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's an interesting thought for sure. It's the kind of thing I try not to think about too much. <laughs> I just, I just see what happens, you know, and especially yeah. because I do believe in like trusting my players that they can, mm -hmm. you know, learn the other heroes and everything. But whatever happens, you know, you who, I'm kind of just waiting. In general, I try to stay much more. It's going to sound a bit cheesy, but to like to stay in the moment. See what happens, and so I read the patch note, and then I decide we will decide with the team what we do. But you know, I cannot. I and it's the same thing for like having goals for the team for like what's gonna happen for like the end of the season, and everything. I try not to do that. Um, so yeah, yeah. There's not much you can do with the, the feeling of worry, right? There's, you can't do much with anxiety. You know, there's not what can yeah. you do, right? Like you're and, in the offseason. Yeah, and as head coach, I mean, I've seen it happens. You know. Uh, our coaching in general in the Overwatch League, uh, you have to consider burnout. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you have to have mechanisms uh, in place to make sure that, you know, you don't put too much uh, anxiety on you. But in general, yeah, I think it's just relatively natural for me not to be bothered too much by this kind of stuff, like what could happen sure. and what if the meta is not right for us and everything. Which I guess, yeah, just... Lucky for me, I guess. <laughs> I, have, I have flows in other ways. But I think I was sure. relatively lucky that in general it's relatively easy for me to not bother, not be bothered too much by this kind of stuff. But yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I'll, take a, I'll take a note from, from Eric here. Um, while patches or future metas might not like weigh on you, is there maybe, you know, a team out there, maybe your former team that you might want to, you know, take hmm. a take a take a rivalry with anybody you're looking forward to playing uh, i mean it's the only team could be boston but they changed sure. the roster and everything so much <laughs> that at this point it's just a different team so right not really i That's think it would still be fun i had a little bit more spiciness to win against boston mm -hmm. but it's not really a real, real rivalry like i don't hate anyone there um 
And anyways, there is like, even if I had some beef with other people, they are not here anymore. So, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, it's just like a full different team. Still fun to win against your old team, I guess. I don't know, I'll see. I've never been in this situation to play against another team. I've been in this Boston for three years. So we'll see what hey, happens. You hear that, Maybe Toronto? He's not even clocking the other Canadian team. Like, don't even worry. Like, he, uh, yeah. they're, they're so no. far above Toronto Defiant. Like, it's a wrap. Like, that's the kind of confidence 2023 yeah. Vancouver has. I mean, I understand, like, for, for just, like, content in general, like, it's good yeah, to have yeah. this kind of rivalry. For me, honestly, it doesn't matter. It's, like, another match. Sure. yeah. Well, like, you have to give 100% no matter what. Mm -hmm. But Toronto or, like, any other team really doesn't no, matter. No, it's, it's very on brand. It's on brand. Is there almost more rivalry for you against a team like London? Because they're, like, in a sort of similar resource position Christopher already did what you try to do in your first head coach mm. position. Is is that more like something that you're looking forward to? Um, yeah, that's a very good question. Not necessarily. I think a bit more of the reverse. There is respect. Not that I disrespect like the other coaches and everything, but the other coaches I have less affinity with. I do respect what uh, Christopher was able to do, and I can like kind of see like that we have similar values, and he managed compared to me so far. He managed to make it work, right, and everything. But I don't necessarily see that as, uh, you know, I have to prove that, you know, my team is better than his and I'm handling things better. Because as much as, like, obviously there is ego when you're a coach, I feel like it's a bit weird when, like, the players are playing and, like, you're responsible for, like, the process and everything to focus on, like, oh, I'm winning more than this coach. Uh, I think it's, like, relatively normal and natural for players. But a bit weird for coaches, unless you have like real beef with someone. But the guys that a guy that I respect usually, no, I don't see him that much as like, you know, competition in that sense of like coaching in terms of coaching mm. at least. Yeah. It, it, what What's all, another interesting idea is always to think about like, there are some teams where the coaching imprint, like if you're playing against a particular coach's team. You know mm. who coached that team. Like I, I hear it very often <laughs> about Shangun. Like like there's always something crazy coming out. Like you you can never right. really predict it. Like everyone has like a smirk on their face when they're playing against his teams. And like it, it could both be like a frustrated one and like a happy one. Um mm. is is there like a coach that either you like look up to in terms of like how they approach it or where you very distinctly like like or dislike the style that they put on the table? Honestly, I mean the only in general, as I said, like I don't bother too much with like the other teams. Um but the only one that yeah I felt like was really interesting, especially because I was having like a relatively hard time. Uh, uh, in Boston with like the team dynamic and mm -hmm. seeing Christopher doing really well with like very low resources and like all of the kind of like the EU stuff that we when we played at the time like we were like brought up with and like all of the experience obviously get like coaching in really good teams seeing him make him work with like mm -hmm. a, focusing on the process focusing on making a good teams really good routines for the players the players are very bonded together and everything I was like yeah that's cool uh, aside from that Obviously, there is a lot of coach that I see, you know, people like Krusty or like all of the other teams that are performing, Rush and everything. Like I can see that they're very good at what they do, but I don't know them that much and I don't have much insights about what they do. And mm -hmm. I don't really look for that for these insights in general because it's just the way I work kind of like I try to just only focus on the team in general to like a very 
relatively extreme degree of like I've know I've talked with like some people and it's very different reaction in like the players. For instance, when you are out of a tournament, my team is the same my team is out of a tournament. If there is no strategical interest for me to keep watching, like say the patch is gonna change and we know there is gonna be a drastic patch, so the meta is hundred percent gonna change, it's very likely that I'm not gonna keep watching. So this is done for me. I'm just moving up. And I know like some of my players or like some other coaches that I've talked to, they like to keep watching because they like keep being involved and everything. For me in general it's just like my team and then whatever for the rest. If there's no mm. strategical advantage you know. I don't really know why I do that, but it works for me. <laughs> How about socials? Do you keep away from the socials? Do you hit the yeah, Reddit? It's the same. Okay. No, no. Reddit have like uninstalled for like two or three years, <laughs> uh, and then Twitter, I tend to almost never use it. And like that's a perks, I guess, that you get when you are a head coach compared to a players. Players have to have some kind of social. I mean, you mm. could argue coach do too, but I'm fine with doing without. Especially now that I'm doing uh, interviews about uh, the impact of social media uh, uh, on esports athletes, and I'm like, you know, asking a lot of athletes in different games, not even only Overwatch, how they feel about social media and everything. I'm like, yeah, fuck, fuck, fuck that. It's not <laughs> for me. It's it's but it's just the way I see it. And I think I think you know, it's just not worth it for me. Yeah. And I don't really have that much interest in social media but i understand why some people would you know but it just it's very uh double-edged well, like you can mm -hmm. get a lot of support and, and i don't want to rely on that for motivation or for confidence of something that i, I don't control i okay i'm running another theory i, I right. that's a crackpot theory but it's like okay this it was once again reinforced i listened to do you have an idea who afromo is in league of legends yeah yeah i do Like he had an interview um, on visionaries, like the Jacob Wolf podcast, and right. I swear, like that's a guy that has for for the Overwatch viewers had a decade long career, has sustained himself in all kinds of meta in League of Legends, support player. Like when support was weak, Afromo was there. When support was the hard carry, Afromo was there. 17 different ID carries later, and like now he has uh, retired. That was the most boring interview I've ever heard. That dude is just like he just like has the most milk toast answers of everything. And I feel in my soul they are right, but I also know that guy isn't reading reading Reddit or like reacting to no. anything in the community is like trying to overextend himself and have a hot take and be relevant there, right? Like in mm -hmm. in essence, here's here's my take on this. The more professional esports gets the less interesting inherently it unfortunately becomes to viewers because we don't have these characters. Like if I, if I look at what the best player necessarily is and as we professionalize, that's a guy that never really is forced to interact with the community, never has or even has the urge to have any spicy take on anything because they just believe like in the middle way that's probably like all the wisdom is out there. Like, what your grandma told you you should do, that's actually the best approach. You just don't want to hear it because it's really boring and it doesn't get the dopamine going, right? I'd rather have that potion, that quick hit where, where I can get the improvement from that rather than listening to the uh, established approaches, right? Like, uh, either I want, like, a 
a quirky solution to a common problem or an uncommon problem and a usual solution. Other than that, my dopamine is not being spiked here, right? So my theory is, is, is theoretically like the optimal, the optimal way for a top, absolute top player to be is boring. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I don't think I don't think I have the answer, especially because uh, in terms of like social media, how to handle this kind of thing and everything, it's really not my area of expertise. Especially because I myself don't use it that much, and I think sure. my personal opinion is like it's more uh, it's more of a bad thing than a good thing. But it's just the way I view things in general. And for players, you they cannot apply the same solution that i do of like not giving a fuck because they kind of have to to some degree have a presence online but yeah i mean i'm I'm not really sure i think in general it's hard to build content around you especially in the overshake that is kind of like restrictive of like like growing personalities and like bm and that kind of stuff um i don't really see how but then again i'm really really not that competent on the subject so i think i'll i'll dodge as a fellow incompetent Sorry. person on the subject, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak out of school and I'm gonna say and be the outlier Andy here. Um I think I think there are some people who can thrive in the shit posting and the social media and the banter and the BM and, and maybe even can be, you know, can thrive off of it. But for the vast majority of people, yeah, it's probably best if they're boring. And I think, you know, as this goes across the board in most aspects of, you know, whether it be content creation, coaching, what have you, um, the more broad of a spectrum of personalities that you get, even the more boring ones become admirable. They become affable, right? Because they're just different from the norm, right? If the norm is to be, you know, outlandish and, you know, saying all kinds of crazy shit, the more suit and tie, the more professional you are. I, I think that attracts, you know, a certain demographic, a certain type of people. The issue that Overwatch has at the current point in time is that we were a little bit too homogenous, right? We're a little bit too suit and tie. We're a little bit too, you know, collared shirt. Yeah. When you do have a little bit more personality, there is, you know, some... There are adverse effects to that, but there are, you know, really, really strong positives to that. And I think it, it benefits a lot of different people. Um, it just kind of depends on the type of person you are, right? I, I think that's the the boring answer, but the true one, right? Like either you're a mango or, and forgive me, as a, as a Frenchman, this may seem, you know, uh, blasphemous. But is there not like a very famous like Counter-Strike player who like kind of just is very flippant in his practice, but still is like incredibly good? Played for G2. I want to keep saying it's shocks, but it's not shocks. I wouldn't be able to tell. In, in, Just French you, players? Yeah. That's erratic? Is there... No, what? No, not... What? Or that's like a like a hot type of personality? No, not, not really. A, not, a hot, not a hot type of personality, but somebody who's like... Uh, who approaches the game a little bit differently. When Apex it comes to like is practice. the only thing that I can Im- uh, imagine. I don't know. Maybe but I'm describing he, here's it my he, Here's my thing where I that that my my theory comes from that and okay. why I think as an esports fan if you're not into the inspirational type of like growing incrementally every day and looking at inspirational characters and you're not deriving value from that you're probably okay. out there for for yourself but like here's here's how I perceive device 
Device is like for a long time, Device was the best player in the world. Astralis was his team. The the way they got there was a performance psychologist came in. Mia Stelberg is I think uh, her name. She just like stabilized their mental. They stabilized. She stabilized their routine, and therefore they built confidence. And then they won everything for the longest time, and probably are still the most dominant team of all time, right? And Device is like the type of guy that wakes up at exactly 7.45, gets uh, 10 minutes of sunlight into his eyeballs, then drinks his athletic greens, goes to the gym, does exactly the type of workouts that he has to do, sits at the mouse, does some stretches. Oh, no, not the carpal tunnel. Nope, they were not doing that today. Then, like, the the aim lapse for exactly, like, 2.34 hours, then scrim start, and that's the entire day, and then he goes to bed at uh, 21.45 and like the day is done, and none of that was interesting. But he's like the best in the world. He's the, perf- the perfect player for a coach. Yes, yeah. You say that, and I and I dream of players <laughs> like that. But yeah, they have to, but I guess yeah, they also yeah. Just the, the whole business that I'm not really comfortable with, and I, that's why I'm glad being a coach yeah. uh, and not a player is that it is competition. And what drives you is competition. You just want to be the best. You don't necessarily want to be entertaining. You're fine with having a highlight on you, but for the way you play, usually, not necessarily on like having like a huge personality uh, and everything. But it's competition. But people watch competition because it's entertaining. So it's entertainment as well. That's why I understand that like you know there is some attempts at like making personalities or making rivalry between the teams and everything. Uh, even though it's like kind of like weird to me. Mm-hmm. I do understand why it's like that. But for some players, I can assume it's like a problem where like they don't really want to be that kind of person. They just want to compete. <laughs> they want to play the game. They want to win. They don't really need to... They don't want to entertain that much. But they kind of have to because otherwise people are not watching the league, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's a tough situation. That's one where like you really am in... I'm of no help to the players on that kind of subject. And I'm really fine if I have boring players personally. But... I don't tell them to not use social media. Just not during match days, but and right. I just warn them about the problems and everything. But you know, yeah, it's really not something that I'm comfortable with. Really, makes sense. Sure. Any any final topics, Jessica, that you want to dive into with Askoff? Anything burning? Any other theories? You want to get into <laughs> bread again? <laughs> not, not not really. Um, I think what the, the hmm. I, I think what I always want to know, and yes, you haven't spelled out a definitive goal, but like, what do you think? What is your threshold for success this year? What is what is the the maybe n- not you know tangible like X place, but what where do you want your team and yourself to be when everything's said and done? Okay, for from like a very selfish uh, point of view. I, I know it's going to be hard this year with like the way they revealed the, the world system to be, but I would very much like to go to playoffs, right? Um, that's like just my personal goal, and I think that's more probably going to be from my, I know the goals of all players. That's why I was saying like I'm not going to make that a team goal because I already know they have this goal for themselves, and I think for a team structure like the message to send from like a team the team leader, it's not good to say like, let's go to playoffs. We're going to go to playoffs. Don't worry and everything. I think it's better to focus on the process, but I know they have this goal anyways, uh, you know, themselves. And I can do as well, but it's just, you know, uh, something that I try to not to focus too much on. 
because it's just expectations. And then if you only focus on like winning, you miss the big part of what makes you winning, which is practice, making sure like the team environment is good, you know, and focusing because as your head coach, especially you need to focus always on like what's going on with your team. If your players are like really not performing, then if you really have this goal and you really hold on tight to this goal of of being in playoffs, you're going to start freaking out, being more anxious and be like, oh, fuck, he's not performing. Maybe I'm going to like be a bit nervous as well. He's going, The player's going to feel that and everything. You don't want that. You want to always stay calm. You want to be like, okay, maybe he's having a bad day. Maybe it's because, you know, who, who want like his girlfriend yell at him in the morning so he's not playing well, that kind of stuff. You need to be able to kind of have a clear head sure. uh, and focus on like what you want to establish. So I try to not focus on that too much. but. Yeah, if I had to give a goal, I want to go to playoff. Are you going full throttle on the Pro AM as well? Yeah, but that's that's just kind of a beard thing in general. Aside from like here, yeah, the whole playoff thing, I try to focus on what I want to try to get my players to do. Even though it's always hard, is to always focus on like one match at a time. So you next goal is always okay. We have this next match coming up. This is our focus. Let's try to win this one. So make sure that, like, you know, we're prepared. Uh, whatever, in the case of a the tournament AM, it's a bit odd because we're going to have, I assume, maybe multiple match. Uh, but in the regular season, it's like one match, maybe two match a week. So you focus on this ones. You win, you lose, and then you move on to the other match. So it's like much more focus on immediate future and present, which is what I like, and be like, okay, focus on the next match and on the next match what you're going to focus in the first map. And then once you get through the first map, we focus on the second map and everything just to get them in this kind of mindset of focusing on the present. Mm. Uh, but for the AM tournament, it's a bit weird because it doesn't go towards that much in the Overwatch League in general. Mm. But as I said at the very beginning, it doesn't change that much in the sense of it's a showing. There's going to be people watching and we're competing against other people. So we all want to win. So... I think it doesn't matter if we face Overwatch League team or Tier 2 teams. I want to have them ready. As soon as there is an official match, we need to be ready to play, no matter against who, really. Makes sense. I think it's... it's That's always a, an interesting narrative when it comes from like a fan's perspective because it's like, you know, it, it's very common it's very easy to just assume like oh yeah like how hard are they trying like yeah you're gonna see more subs maybe but they're in the same way like you're dealing with people that want to compete and yeah that's 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 a driving motivator if i've ever seen one because who wants to be the one to lose against the shanghai dragons who wants to be the ones to lose against the tier two teams right Right. at the very at the very at our very core we can be the most happy-go-lucky person. We can have the utmost best intentions to our fellow competitors. But who wants to lose? Yeah. And yeah, as we discussed, you know, in general, yeah, it's like the players. Like, it's not it's not an excuse to say like, oh, we weren't really trying. Mm. There is no way you get someone competitive and he's not trying during match, even right. if it's against... Like, he can be like... Some of the players, I could understand, the Overwatch League players are like, oh, fuck, what do we have to win really in this tournament? You know, aside from the prize money, you know, we're playing against tier two team, is not going towards the Overwatch League. And for them, their goal is just to win the Overwatch League, so it doesn't really matter. It's mm. just like a distraction. To some degree, right? Uh, so I could understand that, but at the end of the day, they're still going to play because they still have this pressure of like, no, no, I, I want to win. And there's going to be people watching, and I don't want to lose in front of all of these people, even though, and especially if the team is bad, because I'm yeah. going to look bad. So I don't think there is a way. I would be very surprised if a team doesn't try in this tournament, an Overwatch League team, I mean. 
tough one to get in front of those egos and be like, yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to kick back and relax and lose to an amateur team. Yeah. That's, that's definitely going to Yeah, for what, you know, it's the, it's the beginning of the season. Everybody's fresh. Right. Everybody wants to play, you know, it's not like it's mid season and like the people mm-hmm. are kind of like, and you want to because. send back, but so yeah, there's no reason really. Ah, it's, it will be used as cope. I'm sure. Oh yeah. I <laughs> mean, we didn't course. take like, that, that seriously. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps. It's it's a it's a very convenient excuse, but is that really what's happening? Let's be honest, probably not. Probably. Yeah. Um, but I think as we kind of wrap up here, I don't want to take up too much of your your evening. I know it's getting a little late. Um, mm-hmm. I want to give you the kind of the platform to you know speak to any Vancouver Titan fan, any any you know anybody maybe even sitting on the fence that's looking for a home, you know, as a fan. You know, what is uh. Any messages to them? Any 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 send offs for the twenty twenty three season? Oh, this is a good one. No, I think in general, yeah. Um, I mean, as I said, it's kind of hard for me to. I kind of have to be as a head coach, but it's kind of hard to me to like uh, uh, relate to the fans and everything in general. Mm. But what I know for sure, this team, we're gonna like the whole point is to create a real team. There's been, I think, and I think it's been like a subject for many many teams rebuilding this year. And to be fair, I think uh, to some degree, teams like London and Dallas kind of like uh, showed the path last season about how much real team play could like uh, elevate your game. Um, so like the players that I had talked with, they all been in like very bad situation in terms of teams and everything. They really want to create a team. We have nice players. Uh, they all like really good, great guys and everything. And we're going to, the goal is to create something bigger than just the sum of ourselves. So like if you're looking for that kind of stuff, that's like that's the only sell point I have because in terms of content and everything, I don't know much. Some of the guys are fun, they stream and everything, you should check it out. <laughs> but for me, the most important thing about the most interesting part about this team is like I have five guys that really want to create a real team. And they're gonna be involved in everything. So and you know, in general, strategically speaking, we're not gonna be afraid to play anything. It should be fun to watch us play. So might as well try, you know. Yeah. I think so. I think uh, I think that's it, it kind of stems throughout the entire building process. A lot of, you know, even this this episode of the podcast, I think it's very like consistent with, you know, everything that you're saying, everything that, you know, you believe in the system that you've you've put forth for this team. It, it feels very, uh, like you said, more than the sum of your parts and uh, a proof of concept for a lot of players that haven't been given necessarily a fair shake. So uh, I think I. I won't speak for the both of us because maybe Yiska has a differing opinion, but I certainly hope you guys do do well for this season. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and Yiska, any, anything, any final thoughts, any, any, anything you want to add in? I mean, the part that hopes to win the Lord bed, of course, hates <laughs> a lot of what they, they heard today. Uh, the part that wants Punk's parents to be happy, of True. course, likes what, what they heard today. I think like, my prior was a little bit assumed like that you're now more increasingly likely to be uh, right, Joe. But we'll see. Like the, the, of course, there's always like, there's this team and then there's the rest of the league and yeah. it's getting interesting. Hmm. Certainly is. It's going to be, I think we say this every season, but it is, it is one of the most interesting seasons for a number of reasons. Different from seasons in the past. That's for damn sure. But uh an interesting one nonetheless um so yeah i think this is a good place to to k out ask off thank you again for spending some time with us and and chewing the fat talking all kinds of stuff 
um, going into sports psychology and obviously, you know, the upcoming Overwatch League season. So thank you. Um, and thanks for watching. We'll see you in 284. We'll see you next week. Adios.